welcome to the Hope Vineyard Podcast. For more information, go to www.hopevineyardchurch.us. I thought I'd let you into a little bit more of my childhood this week. Um, many of you know that I, I, when I was in fourth grade, I had, um, I was a little bit of an activist in that I uh, saved our class from the trials and tribulations of not having movies. Um, I, I picketed my fourth grade teacher so that she would show movies in our classroom because all the other fourth grade classes had movies. But um, that was just one of the things that was I was passionate about as a fourth grader. I also loved to draw, and I, and I spent a good deal of my fourth grade year dreaming about the future and dreaming about what I would do as an adult. I think that was because... I. I was, it was really boring. It was so boring, fourth grade was. So I spent a lot of time drawing. And this is not from fourth grade, but this is exactly like what my fourth grade pictures of, of um, me in, in the future looked like. I was going to wear Victorian, um, like, bouffant dresses and have a, a pearl necklace. And then my hair, because it was going to be long, like Crystal Gales, and drag along the ground, was some of, Google Crystal Gales, for some of you would not believe how long this lady's hair was. Um, I, I was going to wear it in these buns that would just kind of wrap around, and so they kind of would come to a point. And so all these pictures of me were in, that I would draw had these big, you know, wrapped around buns because my hair was going to be so, so long. And, um, of course, you know, long skinny neck and big earrings, I guess. But, um, but anyway, so in that imaginary per, uh, person, I was also going to be an artist. And I was just going to spend my days drawing and uh, um, probably drawing pictures of the sunset. Because I always draw pictures of the sunset. And just have this peaceful life. Um, my plans changed about mid-year when my brother, who was in second grade, um, had the same teacher I did as in fourth grade. And my second grade teacher told, like, had to just mentioned to my uh, mother that my brother was a better artist than I was, or at least that he drew hats better than I did. And so I gave up that dream entirely because if I couldn't be the best, why even try? And so then I decided um, from then on, I started, that's when I started having all those many fantasies of, of having those 11 children with those 33 names. And um, that, you know, so I just spent a lot of time in the clouds thinking, well, who was I going to be? Um, it was later that I, I achieved that first dream of becoming a wife and mother, and then, and I was very content until I started learning more about God, and it was God who changed my identity. I had had everything I dreamed of as a fourth grader, and yet I was in a Bible study with these ladies who who were really pursuing Jesus, and and God was speaking to them, and that was a new thing to me. I thought. You know, my mind of God was someone who wanted you to do good, and he was just kind of like up there, and you were a pawn in his game, and he didn't really care about what happened to you as long as he was glorified. You know, it was just this, it was just this really twisted view of God. And I began to hear that God was actually good, and that he had a plan, and that he was paying attention. And this woman who was in this Bible study with me um, 
would say like she was looking for her contact. And so then she'd ask God, well, God, please help me find my contact. And he'd show her where it was. I also had the privilege of driving with her and she had the worst car ever. And it would like turn off in between, like at stops, at stoplights. So she'd kind of like coast into the stoplight. The, the car would turn off and she'd just kind of like jam it into a different gear. And then she would drive 90 miles an hour on the on this, and I just thought, well, man, this person has a call in her life because otherwise I'd be, I should be scared because she'd be, you know, I, I would be scared she'd die. But because I knew that she had a call in her life, I thought, well, <laughs> I guess I'm safe. Um, so I began to see like this different picture of God. And as I began to see a different picture of God, I began to know, realize that he was inviting me into that picture and he was inviting me into that story. Some of you probably had some time daydreaming as a child also. You know, people were always encouraging that because they'd come up to you and say, oh, you want, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many of you got asked what do you want to be when you grow up? How many of you are the thing that you wanted to be? Oh, good for you. How many of you thought you were going to be a teacher, a plumber, fire person? So some of you, some of you are the same thing you thought you wanted to be. Some of you are a little bit different than what you thought you wanted to be. But we all had these kind of um, ideas. And I think that that's what we encountered last week when we met Moses. Moses was, um, he was born a Jew and he was in a land that had, his people had suddenly become unpopular in this land. And so Pharaoh had um, put out a dictate saying that all the male children in, um, that were born of the Jewish women had to be killed. Well, the, the Egyptian uh, midwives had favor on these children. And so Moses was actually rescued because first the Egyptian uh, midwives decided they wouldn't kill the children. And then um, Moses, who was born, was um, put in a basket and he was rescued by an Egyptian woman, Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses, this this um, this. Hebrew boy, or this Israelite boy, um, was growing up now in Pharaoh's court. But his mother had become his wet nurse. And so there was some sort of indication that he knew who his people were. So even though he was being raised in Egyptian and, and culturally he would have appeared to be an Egyptian, he did have a sense of who he was. And he, as he's you know, becoming grown, he encounters this injustice where these Egyptians are um, picking on an Israelite and he, he defeats the injustice by killing the Egyptian. Well, because, and, and my guess is because he kind of thought he knew who he was. He kind of thought he had an idea of what his destiny was supposed to be. But then he gets in trouble because he killed this Egyptian. And so he flees to Midian and asks for asylum in his land because he was being pursued. He would have been killed in Egypt for um, dishonoring and going against Pharaoh's laws. And so we come to him now where he, he kind of thought who, he knew who, who he was, but his, his idea of that was crushed. 
And now, um, today, we're going to pick back up with him as he's in Midian, and he starts out as a shepherd. So we're going to, um, before we get go on any further, I want to pray, because I want to um, ask that God's going to show us that part of becoming a, a people of hope and the whole idea of the book of Exodus is to reveal that the reason we're a people of hope is because we are hoping in the God who is is revealing his identity to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have known who we are all along. Lord, thank you that you know who you are and it is your pleasure to reveal to us who you are. And we ask that this morning, as we um, unfold the pages of the Bible again, and we read your word, that you will open our hearts to begin to see more and more who you are and who we are as a people who hopes in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be turning to Exodus 4, I think. 3. Exodus 3. So Exodus is the second book of your Bible. And if you can open that up, it, you just, um, it's right past Genesis. You're looking for chapter 3. We, we find Moses, and he is a shepherd. And he has been in the field for 40 years. So he goes, he was about 40 years old when he left Egypt, and now we find him, and he's a shepherd in um, Midian for 40 years. That's a long time. That's a really long time to think that you were supposed to be something, that you had this, this sense of, of knowing who you are, and yet he was a shepherd. And so he probably thought, okay, well, I guess, I, you know, I guess I'm a shepherd now, and and I'm just going to do this. He has a wife. He, he, we know that there's some sort of, um, of incongruity or, or, or um, lack of peace in him. Because when he had his son, he named him Gershom, which means I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. So he knows that he's really not supposed to be here. That something else is supposed to happen. And yet he's a shepherd. And a shepherd is, you know, it's a... It's a uh, not an easy job because you have to take care of these sheep. And we've talked to them in the past about how sheep aren't very smart. So you have to be very patient with a sheep. You know, sheep just, I was told once who, um, by someone who, who was around sheep that sheep just do these weird things. Like they, they'll just jump straight up sometimes. And, and like they, they, they don't do well in, in water because they'll drown and, um, they just aren't very intuitive. They get scared easily. And so you, that's why you have to hurt them. And they have this, you know, these rods and these, these stabs. And it's not to beat the sheep. It's basically to kind of pick them out of the ditch when they land in the ditch because they're dumb enough to get stuck in the ditch or to steer them one way or the other. So it's this kind of tedious job and yet yeah, a shepherd knows a sheep a shepherd knows the different voices that they have or you know the different way that they look so a shepherd has to um and the sheep know the shepherd's voice so we pick up here in exodus 3 and moses is a shepherd one day moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law jethro the priest of midian he led the flock far into the wilderness 
and came to Sinai. Oops, that's my picture. The mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. So taking off the sandals, some people suppose it's because you know, he wasn't clean and, and he couldn't be, you know, he couldn't defile the holy ground. Um, more likely in the, it's, it has to do with the sign of reverence, that, that it's, he actually has to, that, that this ground, that this place that he's on, that this um, encounter that he's having is actually with God. And he want, and Moses, um, God wants Moses to pay attention to that. He says, I am God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of, out of, of Egypt, out of, of Israel, out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to them, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Moses replied to, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you to me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob has sent me to you. So God is saying his eternal name. He's saying, I am. In fact, he says, this is my internal name, my name to remember for all generations. So when he says, I am, um, it's, it means like, I will be who you need me to be when you need me to be it. It's this, it means God who creates, who becomes, who has created all. It's this all-encompassing name. And he's saying, I am, I am has sent you. And that's, that's like something that he's going to be um, revealing now, not only throughout the rest of Exodus, but throughout the rest of Scripture. In verse 16, he goes on. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. 
He told me, I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from the oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey to the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. Then they will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. So God has said he's heard the cries of the of the Israelites. Now they've been crying for several hundred years, but he said, I have heard them, and now is the time I'm going to act. And he doesn't do it all on his own. He invites Moses. He invites his people in to do his plan. He doesn't, he doesn't, that, that's part of his character, is he's not just acting up above and, and, and we're just kind of pawns down here. He is inviting, he's telling Moses that this thing that you have always felt, this thing is something that I see and I'm doing and I now have called you, who have, you who have been a shepherd for 40 years, to lead a whole people out of Egypt. Let's see what Moses thinks about that. Chapter 4. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back. Now this is interesting because this is something that the Egyptians had the ability or it was well, it's well known that there's a type of magical hypnosis that they can perform on um, reptiles, snakes, sometimes they'll do it on an alligator, or they can make it um, a snake as stiff as a staff. But um, God was kind of undoing it. And so he's showing like he's, it's a reversal of some of the things that the Egyptian magic arts have done. And this is one of the first signs that we see that God is, is planning on doing some reversal. Because rather than turning the snake into a staff, he has turned the staff into a snake. Then the Lord um, told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into the, staff, the, into the shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside your cloak. 
So Moses put his hands inside the cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, if they do not believe you and, you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn blood on the ground. So Moses pleaded with the Lord, O oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And that... And I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied. My words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? It is I, the Lord. Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. You think that Moses would go? Not yet. He goes, but Moses pleaded again, Lord, send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say and take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. So Moses went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law. Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they are still alive. Go in peace, Jethro replied. But be before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, Return to Egypt, for all those who have wanted to kill you have died. So Moses took his wife and his sons and put them on a donkey and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand he carried the staff of God. And so Moses goes on back to Egypt. And, and um, God had told uh God had told Moses to tell the Pharaoh that Israel is his firstborn son and that, if, that, is, that Pharaoh has to let his son go. And if he doesn't, then he, that God was going to kill his firstborn son. And then they have this big to-do where, where Moses gets sick on his way to Egypt and it's assumed that God's angry with him. And so the, his wife actually circumcises his son and like, taps uh, Moses with it and Moses gets better and it's just this kind of weird thing but we th see that it's um, part of this that story is that Moses still has kind of like this blood guilt from killing the Israelite man and so he's oh the the scriptures the Old Testament scriptures assign all good and all bad to God um, so it's possible that God's angry and God tries to kill Moses, but it's also possible that because of this blood guilt, there's, there's an opening in his life for the consequences of sin to occur in him. And Moses, um, allows his, his, or God allows Moses' wife to perform the circumcision and um, do some sort of substitutionary uh, cleansing of this blood guilt.
we don't that it's that's a strange part of scripture and we're going to move on from there and so Moses goes and he talks to Pharaoh and he and he explains to the Pharaoh what's supposed to happen and Pharaoh did not just obey him he Moses says hey you know I Please let my people go to worship God in, Midian, in three days in Midian, and and Pharaoh's like, no, you guys are lazy. You're you know you're not doing it right, and so the the oppression becomes worse on the Israelites. And so at first, when the Israelites had heard that that Moses was going to do this, um, oh sorry. At first, at first, the Moses has Moses had talked to the elders, and they're really excited that this is going to all happen. And they're really excited because Moses shows the elders that you know God is with them, and God is going to you know rescue them. And so they hear this, and even though they're being you know still in Egypt and they're oppressed, they worship God, and they're really excited. Well, then Moses goes and talks to Pharaoh, and the plan doesn't go as, as, as planned. And Pharaoh heaps more and more oppression on them. And, that, and then everybody gets discouraged. And so we're going to skip over to chapter 6. So Moses goes back, and he's talking to God. And in chapter 6, it says, Then the Lord told Moses, now see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave this land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. I am reaffirm I am and I reaffirmed my covenant with them under its terms I promised to give the land of Canaan when they were where they were living as foreigners you can be sure I have heard have heard the groans of my people Israel you are now slaves to the Egyptians and I am well aware of my covenant with them therefore say to the people of Israel I am the Lord I will free you from your oppression and will risk rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become so discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. So we see we had Moses being this shepherd, and he was, you know, finally, I'm a shepherd. I've been it for 40 years. Might not, you know, might never ever be anything else. My people just be there, and I'm in a foreign land, and a foreign person in a foreign land. And then God calls him, and he says, you're going to save your people, you know, go to Pharaoh. We're going to get all the people out of Egypt. And so he's excited. He tells the 
elders, they're excited. They all worship. Yay, I'm going to finally get to help the people like I always wanted. And we're going to get the people out of Israel. And then Pharaoh makes it worse and everybody's discouraged. And now, like Moses thought he knew who he was because God told him. And then the people are all discouraged. And, it, and he's like, oh, now no one believes who I am. And yet God is saying, but I, but I am the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the people of Israel leave this country. But Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I am such a clumsy speaker. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders for the Israelites for the Israelites and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people out of Egypt. And so Moses became who he was, not because of everybody thought he was a great leader, right? He, came, he became who he was. He had to go back to Pharaoh because God was God. Not because Moses was a good speaker, not because of the signs, not because of the people and, and everybody saw the vision, but because God was God and God was faithful to his people and he was going to invite Moses into his plan. The rest of chapter 6 is just about um, ancestors and stuff and so we're not going to um, go on any further there. So you can shut your Bibles if you want. So we learn from this story that God is other than Moses. You know, one of, the, one of the ways that God teaches us who he is is he reveals that we are not the same, that God is not made in our image, that God is not going to do things our way. So we can want a God who rescues, and we want a God who rescues now. And probably those Israelites wanted those res God to, be, to rescue them a good, you know, four or five hundred years earlier than he did. But God is different than us, and his plans are different than ours. And we see this in the story. We see that God didn't choose Moses because he always had a sense of justice. We, he didn't choose Moses because he was a good leader or a good speaker. You know, he, might, he didn't probably choose Moses because he was a shepherd, but he happened to be a shepherd, and, he had, and God knew he was going to choose Moses, and he prepared him by making him a shepherd. Because what's harder than leading a whole bunch of sheep? Leading a whole bunch of people. <laughs> so God invites Moses. He says, I'm going to have you do this. I'm going to do this, and you're going to do this. And the thing I'm doing and you're doing when I tell you to do this thing is working into this plan that I have that is way bigger than you could ever even imagine. So God chooses Moses because he chose Moses, not for anything about Moses. He chooses him because he chose him. And he chooses you. And he chooses you and you and you because he chooses you. And the thing is about God, we are all chosen. We are all chosen. So it doesn't matter if you were told that you were going to be a leader or that you were going to do, you know, the greater and great work someday. 
God calls you to do great and greater works than Jesus because of him. And because you are made in his image and he loves you and he invites you. We see that, um, that God didn't change Moses' ability. He just, he just answered his doubts in his way. We see that God prepares his people like he prepared Moses for 80 years. And we see God as being faithful to his work. We see that God was there in the in-between. And even though we didn't read that story about Moses getting you know, sick and, and um, feeling like the Lord was going to kill him, God showed the answer. He showed the solution. So even though that there was this thing that happened in the in-between, and, and there'll be more things that happened in the in-between, God provides the solution. And Moses' role in it all is to be obedient, is to be faithful. God is bigger than the circumstances of the lack of faith of the Israelites, of the um, burdens and increased burdens that were coming on. The, the way that, you know, a lot of times God says, go this way, and then there's all these roadblocks. But God is bigger than the roadblocks. And today, we can learn that that same God who is I am, that same God who is I am from eternity until that point is still the I am, and that's the God that we interact with. And we have a more revelation than Moses did. We have revelation of Jesus, this, his son, the one who came in and, took, and was the permanent substitution for the attack of death um, against our sins. Jesus reveals himself in the I am in many different ways. In John, there's eight I am statements. He says he's the bread of life, that we wouldn't hunger, that we wouldn't thirst because of him. That he says that he's the light of the world and that we would, if we follow him, we won't walk in darkness, but we'll have light in life. He says, I am the door, and if anybody enters um, by him, that we will be saved and we will go out and find pasture. Pasture, that's where we can be refreshed, that we can be renewed. We're on John 10, and it says, um, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives life for his sheep. It says, I am the resurrection and the life in John 11. He who believes in me may have life, or may, um, though he may die, shall still live. I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the vine, and my Father is the wine dresser. And in um, John 8, he says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. So this Jesus who died on the cross that we follow, who paid the price of sin and death, who gives us his Holy Spirit that we can live, that Jesus is the same I am, and that I am lives in us. So today, we can follow this up by worshiping. Because that's what the, the Israelites did even before they were rescued. They heard about God, and they heard about the hope that he offered, and they heard about his strong hand. And they weren't rescued yet, but they worshiped. And so that's what we can do. We can respond 
by worshiping. You know, we'll see that, that Moses had that, that relationship with God because of his obedience. He was following him. He was close to him. He could hear him. And so we, our, our two um, responses for the week and hopefully the rest of our, week, our lives is to worship and to obey him. This morning, whether we're, you know, we have a good idea of our plan or whether we're just kind of wondering what it is that God's doing, we can worship. I like one of the verses I picked here was um, the, uh, in Psalm 63, 1. It says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. It's kind of like Egypt. It was kind of like here up until this morning. But when our hearts and our souls and our whole beings are dry and parched, God, you know, we, we come to him, we worship him, we seek him. And I love that it rained today because that's a promise for us that the rains do eventually come, that they do seek into those deep cracks that have come from the the state of being dry and parched too long. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So this morning, we're, we're exalting the one who is I am. The one who will be what we need him to be when we need him to be it. The one whose plans are greater than ours. The one who will lead us and will show his enemies, who are the enemies of our soul. We're talking about the forces of darkness who fight against us every day and try to ravage us, but have lost before they even started. He calls... Um, there, the song we sang this morning said, you called my name and my heart came alive. You know, we're worshiping the one who calls us by name. And as we worship him, as we're, as we're allowing him to be that I am in us, we can come alive this morning.